Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best books directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with Lita Sedaris, the author of the Cory Locke Mystery Series, the first of which, Murder and Other Unnatural Disasters, was released last week. Lita, welcome. Thank you very much, Stephen. I'm very happy to be here. I am so happy that we have connected. I really enjoyed your book. I knew I was going to just from looking at the cover and reading the blurb. And uh, when I read it, I, I really connected with your protagonist, Corey. And it's just a really fun book. It's going to be a fun series. So tell us a little bit about Corey, if you would. Well, thank you kindly. Our heroine is a 26-year-old newly minted lawyer who lands a dream job in a movie studio in Southern California. And the book opens with her out jogging to shoo away a bad case of nerves she's suffering because the job starts the next morning and she's worried about being able to keep it. She needs the money and she has zero experience. So she goes out for a run. And going out for a run sounds perfectly normal to burn off nervous energy, except that she's exercising at 1030 on a deserted Sunday night. And the first chapter, I hope, establishes that she has a penchant for running into trouble. Um, And although she lacks the background and knowledge that could help her in a new position, we learn that she has plenty of experience in other areas. She's adept at navigating her way around a crime scene investigation handling weaponry, legal and otherwise, and solving crimes, all courtesy of years of shadowing her renowned P.I. father on his cases. In fact, she helped him crack a few nearly impossible-to-figure-out cases that had stumped law enforcement. And we learned that because of the dangerous nature of her father's job, she made an oath to herself and her mother, maybe a little reluctantly, (laughs) to push those days behind her. So she takes this safe job. It appears very tame compared to her former days. But on her first day at the studio, she learns of the untimely death of the assistant head of security. And before she knows it, she's blackmailed into investigating. <laughs> well, the story, as, as you mentioned, the story starts out quickly. And we learn a lot about Corey with her reaction to what's happening. We learn that she's very quick thinking. We learn she's got you know, mother problems like all 26-year-old women have. And uh, we, we learned a little bit about her dad, and she's he, her dad is like a reluctant hero to her. He's a hero, but because her mother doesn't want her to follow that path, and he's so well-known, it, it also is, is a bit of an albatross around her neck, just being his daughter. It is. And as much as she tries to push it away, push it away from her, it keeps coming back. And she learns that uh, she actually thrives on risk-taking, and she misses uh, the time that she spent shadowing her dad on his cases. And she learns a lot about herself once she actually does decide to move forward on the the blackmail subject that's, that's uh, put in her path. So, yeah, I, it was very interesting for me to learn about this character because... I'm the kind of writer who doesn't plan anything, but kind of makes it up. Like, I think Raymond Chandler had a quote similar to that. I make it up as I go along and then try to make sense of it. So I didn't know my character very well, but I learned a lot about her on the way. And I wanted a character who would do things that I and most people would not. Well, I I hope you have created that, (laughs) at least for your own personal safety. (laughs) I hope that you've created that. I tried. (laughs) (laughs) All right. One of the things that makes the book so interesting and so much fun is this wacky place that she works. 
And I know, I mean, it's, she's, she's going to work. Well, why don't you describe her job? Well, uh, both she and I had, uh, it was not actually my first job, but it is her first job in a movie studio in the business affairs department. And it is really its own little world. And currently, I'm not working as a studio attorney any longer. I run a legal nonprofit, but I'm in a building surrounded by litigators. And I was thinking, I was growing a little nostalgic for the studio days, and I was thinking that these regular conventional type of lawyers have no idea what goes on in a movie studio. And I love reading mysteries, and I've been writing a long time, but this is my first published novel. But I was thinking there is no mystery set um, at a movie studio that's lighthearted. So I thought it would be the perfect backdrop for me to relive some of my fun experiences or a little bit exaggerated and to have a character have these zany experiences uh, while she's trying to solve a mystery. So that's kind of how it all started. Were you tempted because of the people that are around you every day to just write another uh, litigator, you know, female high-powered attorney litigator series? I mean, there are a million of them, but they're, they're kind of fun. And this is not that at all. They, they are kind of fun, and I do enjoy reading about them, but I have never been a litigator, so I would have to start all over and figure that out. <laughs> this, this I knew. Having lived it, uh, knowing what pretty much goes on, I could use that setting, uh, I, I hope, um, pretty well as a backdrop for what was going to happen. So it had to be the entertainment industry for me because I kind of missed it, but yet I didn't want to be back there. So this was a way of vicariously reliving those moments and reinventing them to fit into this book. Without getting into any of the general craziness of the studio where she works, is, is this a realistic portrayal of your life when you were when you were there? I, I don't mean the danger and, and all of that, but I mean some of the crazy characters that were there. Is that the way it is in the movie business? I think for me it was. That's how I perceived it. Whether it is for everyone, I don't know. But especially I, like Corey, I was so green when I started that if I lay down in a patch of grass, you wouldn't see me. So <laughs> everyone who could take advantage of me did. Uh-huh. It, it, for about the first few months until I caught on and I think I, I hope I was able to forge ahead and act like the rest of them. But in the beginning it was really hard because they could sense my weakness and again they took advantage of it. So there were a wide array of characters, and um, it is different. Maybe big law firms are like this as well. I don't know, but they were a different cast of characters. So I used to think when I was working here running the nonprofit that wouldn't it be wonderful if I could go back and be my 26-year-old self with the knowledge that I have now and hopefully the capabilities, I could really handle it. So that's another reason why I wrote this book. I wanted a character who wasn't, who was a, a bit stronger, maybe what we hoped that we'd be in these situations or could be. When you were working in the movie business, did you have friends like she's developing in this series who are, you know, a little on the kooky side? Um, my friends were not kooky. No, I had normal <laughs> friends. And I was married at the time, too, so I didn't have this uh, cast of uh, eligible, attractive, intelligent men that she has. Um, so actually, when I first wrote the draft for this, I kind of set up the skeleton as being my own life, and I started dozing off. It was so boring. So I thought I had to punch some life into this. So I wanted to, ha to have her do again things that I wouldn't do, put her in a place that I wouldn't go, you know, just to spice it up and add some zip to it. My life was pretty boring compared to hers.
Now, as you mentioned, this is your first published novel. Uh, most of us that have written anything, uh, we have things in drawers that nobody's ever going to see. Is, is that the case for you as well? I first started to write uh, historical fiction, and I actually uh, submitted the first chapter to the San Francisco Writers' Conference and won an award. They got me to go into the conference, and it was interesting because everyone thought I could write then. I thought maybe I really can. I was treated differently than the other attendees because I had won this award. So I started to write that novel, but I kept getting depressed. It was just too depressing, and I couldn't go on. So I stopped after about eight to ten chapters and turned everything around and wrote this. And I actually came up with the um, tagline for this novel while I was at the San Francisco Writers' Conference. She swore she'd never turn into her P.I. father, but that was before she ran over the body. <laughs> so that kind of served as my guide to what this book was going to be about. It, it, it is funny because I think anyone who starts to write, you, you may have some ideas about what you actually want to write about, but then when you start writing, it might not be that much fun, and you might want to read, it, or you might want to write in a genre that's completely different, and it sounds like that's the direction that you took, at least initially. That's exactly, exactly right. That's, I had to, I wanted to have fun, and most importantly, I wanted my readers to have fun. I wanted uh, them to feel a slight lift after having read the book, because some books just leave me feeling a little down afterward. Mm -hmm. And I try to stay away from those types of books these days. Back in the, maybe a few years ago, I enjoyed them, but I don't anymore. I wanted something very light, so light that if you didn't grasp it with both hands, they could potentially float. <laughs> and that's what I tried to accomplish. Again, I wanted the reader to feel good after having read this book. And, you know, I'm with you. I'm, I'm older than you are. Uh, but there was, at a, at a certain age, I really enjoyed books. I didn't, I wouldn't, I won't say I enjoyed books that were depressing, but I, I didn't need the book to take me a certain direction. And I, I read a lot of things that I just am no longer interested in reading. And I love lighthearted fiction now. It's, it's, it's a shame there's not just an overarching genre for this. There are so many subgenres that all of, all of this kind of work fits into, um, that it's it's sometimes difficult to even find, but it, it's one of the ways that you can tell is by a good cover design, and you have a really good cover design for this. When I saw the cover, it's like I'm going to like this book. I just knew I was going to like the book. Thank you. Isn't that incredible? Because I had no idea what I wanted the cover to look like, but I gave them some uh, again uh, direction as to what I thought would work. I wanted silhouettes that just because I'd seen a few covers that I'd liked. But then I started working with my website designer, and we kept going back and forth with designs. And actually, she designed the website first. After she did that, I took it to my publisher and said, can you do a cover that kind of hmm. uh, is similar to this and that carries the tone of the book? And so the, after looking at the website design, they created the cover, which I thought was perfect. I couldn't have asked for anything because it does convey a certain lightness, yet there is some danger in the background, too, with the dark, uh, you know, night sky. And that's amazing because I would have guessed it was the exact opposite, that you took the cover to your website designer, <laughs> and I'm sure that's what most people think. I, me, too. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit about your real life. You have a bio on the website, and could you uh, quickly share the URL for the uh, for the website with listeners? And I will put this in the show notes, so if you're out driving around your car, you don't have to write it down. You can just check the show notes. But uh, can you give it to listeners, Lita? Of course. It's myfirstandlastname.com, which is L-I-D like detective, A, S like suspect, I, D like deadly, 
E-R-I-S like Smith & Wesson. How's that for it? That was incredible. <laughs> that's, the, that's the best URL that I have ever heard. Most people just spell it out, and it's, it's hard to pick out the, the individual letters. I've never heard anyone do it like that before. That, that is a Thank record. You. And I've done— Got to have fun. I think this is episode 91. I don't actually number these. I just looked the other day because I was thinking I might be close to 100. So in 90 previous episodes, no one has done that well. <laughs> Well, but, thank you. But on your website, there's a little interesting bio bit about you that says you live with rescue shepherds and a flock of uppity chickens. I have to ask about that. I mean, I know what rescue shepherds shepherds are. I'm not really seeing the chicken thing. Well, we have a an existence kind of like the TV show Green Acres, where we came from the big city Los Angeles and decided to try to be farmers. And it was quite hilarious in the beginning. We had goats as well, and friends from the city who come and see me with the goats were quite astonished. And we have chickens, which I actually grew to love because they're they're very peaceful. They're actually smarter than their reputation um, allows them to be. But they are very uppity. For example, when they're brooding and want to, uh, they're laying eggs, I'll go and they won't let me take any. And they keep shuffling the eggs from beneath them. So, for example, if there are two chickens in the nesting boxes, one will be sitting on eight one day, the other one will be rest, uh, sitting on four. The next day, one will be on six, the other one will be on six. They keep shuffling them around and they squawk very loudly if I dare to go near them. I mean, they, they definitely have personalities. and. I have to respect that. So that's what I mean by when I say uppity chickens. So uh, chickens and laying eggs implies roosters as well. So is this a every morning at dawn you're up kind of thing? Uh, I wish it was at dawn. Sometimes it's at 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't control them. They they uh, they do what they please. <laughs> I thought it was a rule that they didn't start making noise in, until until the sun came up. So it's, it, I've Same learned here. something today. All right. Uh, one last thing. On your website, I found this fascinating because very few people do this. You recorded yourself uh, the first chapter of your book. You read the first chapter of the book as though you were narrating an, an audio book, and you did a terrific job of it. So what was that like for you to do that? Well, thank you. Well, it certainly wasn't my first recording. It might have been my 101st because I kept <laughs> doing it over and over. And at one point, I had my husband do the, the male voice because I thought that would be more interesting. But I was told that it should just all be in the author's voice. It was nerve-wracking because I wasn't sure if I knew what I was doing, if I was speaking clearly enough how it would sound, and once it was done, I did not want to listen to it again. I'd had mm-hmm. enough, and so I never listened to it since it was placed on the website, but I thought readers might enjoy it, because I always like hearing the author read the work, yes. because you know how they want it to sound, how they want it to be, so that's what I was going for. I, it was a, I just thought it would be something different. I'm always looking to do something a little bit different than it's um, usually done. That, I thought, what the heck, I'll just do it. That's very courageous. I've I've done probably 200 podcasts, and the idea of myself reading something that I've written and recording it for people to listen to is terrifying to me. So <laughs> congratulations for you to pull it, for pulling that off. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I wasn't sure. I, I didn't even know if people could find it to listen to it. So I, I'm glad to know that you have. No, your your, la- your website is so well laid out, and it, it's really fun. I would really encourage people to uh, to visit there. Lita, what's the best way for people to keep up with you and your work? I'm assuming it's the website. 
the website. Uh, I try to do Facebook daily. I've never Facebook is new to me. I started, I think, it was um, mid June, just because of the book. Mm-hmm. And I'm on Twitter. I try to be on Twitter at least three times a day. And I believe my website has an email address on there. Um, they're welcome. Anyone's welcome to email me. I I do respond. Um, and that's really the best way, I, and, I think, via email. And I'll just make a plug for your email newsletter, too, because I, as as a reader, if I find an author whose work I like, I always like to subscribe to the email newsletter. You have a subscription form on the homepage, and it's the best way, or it's a really good way uh, to be sure you're notified when the next book comes out, because no author is not going to email his uh, his or her readers when a new book comes out. Yes, thank you again very much. And where can people find the book? It just came out last week, so where can we find it? In all the usual places. It's on Amazon. Uh, It'll be in bookstores, or at least in Southern California right now. Uh, And libraries, I understand, will have it as well. Uh, Again, being new to this game, I'm not quite sure. Uh, But Amazon definitely has it, as well as iTunes, uh, Nook, uh, Barnes & Noble. Kobo, probably. And if yes. if you are someone who prefers to buy your things from indie bookstores, they can order it for you. All you have to do is go in and give them the author name and the title. They can order it and get it in a few days. And that's a great way to support local bookstores as well. Lita, th- it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks so much for joining us. Likewise. Thank you very much, Stephen. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you do pop by the website, please sign up for my email list. I send out an email each Friday with a summary of the week's interviews. It's the best way to keep up with what we're doing and to be sure you don't miss out on great new books like Murder and Other Unnatural Disasters from Lita Sedaris. Thanks for listening.